This is Olivia and Jill, and you're listening to Bikini Drive-In on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg. Our mission is to analyze horror and science fiction films through an intersectional feminist lens. We have backgrounds in screen and media studies, arts criticism, and women and gender studies. Our combined knowledge and experience will hopefully provide you with access points to feminist theory, art history, and film critique, while using horror and science fiction fiction genres as a site of discourse. Since we will be discussing portrayals of horror and violence, uh, content warning... And listener discretion is advised. Also, spoilers ahead. Since the taping of our Martyrs episode, there's some information that's been brought to our attention in regards to director Pascal Logier. So uh, we wish we knew this prior to recording, but we didn't. Regardless, we're happy to have this knowledge now. So in uh, 2016, Logier was filming Ghostland in Winnipeg. The actor Taylor Hickson was severely injured while performing an emotionally charged scene. Logier was asking her to pound harder and harder on a glass pane. After being pushed to go further and further, the glass eventually shattered, causing Hickson's head and upper body to fall through, resulting in um, and really badly cutting the left side of her face. And she received about 70 stitches. Uh, Hickson had turned 19 just days before the incident. She has since filed a lawsuit with the production company as the injury has majorly impacted her career. This information is from a Deadline article if you're wanting to find some more information. So yeah, it's pretty sad and and frustrating and it seems as though Logier may be getting off on these horrific incidents and and obviously regardless doesn't have the best interests of his collaborators, Mm -hmm. um, especially female collaborators in mind. And it brings up an important thing to think about in regards to many films, and especially horror films, about whether misogyny is being commented on or whether it's being perpetuated. So while we can laud the performance of the leads in that film, they're amazing. It's important to know, yeah, the gaze of the director. So please feel free to contact us after any episode if there's anything we missed or any additional information uh, that, yeah, you want to talk about or share with us. We sincerely love hearing from you. It's the best being able to have conversations uh this week we will be discussing Wes craven's 1996 film scream hello hello who is this tell me your name i'll tell you mine <laughs> i don't think so what's that noise popcorn you're making popcorn well i'm getting ready to watch a video really what well, just some scary movie like scary movies. Uh huh. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? So I want to know who I'm looking at. Someone is playing a deadly game. It all began with a scream over 911. Someone who's seen one too many scary movies. Now he's taken his love of fear. Hello. Hello, Sydney. One step too far. Like scary movies. What's the point? They're all the same. Some stupid killer stalking some big-breasted girl who can't act who's always running up the stairs when she should be going out the front door. It's insulting. There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a scary movie. Number one, you can never have sex. Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. Give me another beer, you want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. You make the rules. The police are always on track. If they watch Palm Night and save time. He just kills by them. Don't answer the phone. Don't open the door. Don't try to hide. 
think ends with a series of threatening phone calls and the elaborate murder of Casey Becker and her boyfriend Steve at the hands of a masked killer, Ghostface. The news spreads throughout the community the next day as news vans show up with the trashy tabloid news reporter Gail Weathers in tow. The events feel all too familiar to Sidney Prescott, whose mother was raped and murdered almost exactly a year prior. Sidney's boyfriend, Billy, tries to be empathetic while competing with his own libido. More murders follow as the killer targets Sidney, who continually fights back and escapes. The film culminates in a party at Sidney's friend Stu's house, where Tatum's brother and deputy sheriff, Dewey, arrives with Gail. More characters are picked off as Billy and Stu are revealed to be the killers. The duo reveal they stage everything so Sidney will be murdered on the anniversary of her mother's death, which they perpetuated, and they plan to frame her father. Billy and Stu take turns stabbing each other, and as they are distracted, Sidney grabs the ghost face costume and begins tormenting them over the phone. They attack her, and she fights and kills them both. Sidney and the remaining survivors live to see another day. So, Jill, what's your history with this movie? Oh, it was probably sometime in elementary school. I had a friend whose whose house was the site of many first horror film viewings. Kelsey McCall, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm talking to you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Scream was one of them. It wasn't, for me, the most most memorable of them all. Psycho and Jawbreaker and The Burbs really like <laughs> rang out in my memory when thinking of scary movie sleepovers at her house. But yeah, Scream was definitely in there, and I'm... So happy to get to talk about it with you, major fan. Major fan. <laughs> this movie is basically one of my horcruxes. I love it so, so much. Because uh, I saw it at the perfect age. When I was like 16 or 17, I would spend every weekend with my friends, Marilyn and Dana. Hello. Mm-hmm. After spending the night running around St. James, we would stay up eating crackers and cheese whiz, watching every scream, murder, scream movie in over, over, and over again. Um, and I still watch this movie constantly. And I've probably seen it hundreds of times. I'm so glad we're talking about it today. Madame Scream expert. Oh, I love it so it's very much. Funny. It's perfect. <laughs> it's a perfect movie. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to start uh, talking about slasher films, which Scream is obviously a slasher film. Uh, we covered slasher films in our Black Christmas episode. Um, Scream manages to challenge the, sl- the slasher formula while also following it. In her book, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, Gender in the Modern Horror Film, Carol J. Clover describes slashers as sharing several elements. So the killer is a psychotic product of a sick family, but still recognizably human. The victim is a beautiful, sexually active woman. The location is not home, at a terrible place. The weapon is something other than a gun, and the attack is registered from the victim's point of view and comes with shocking suddenness. So other elements of a slasher, it's a mysterious killer stalking killing victims sequentially. Violent stabbing, slashing movements. Killers are usually the fixed element of many slasher films, while the victims are interchangeable in any given series. And as well, there's also um, a shifting point of view and shifting identification. So early examples would be 13 Women, Peeping Tom, and Psycho. Uh, They're also sort of come out of the splatter film movements. Uh, So Herschel Gordon-Lewis of the 1960s, which contained more gore and more violence. Also, um, the Giallo movement of the early 1970s, mostly um, Mario Bava. Cool. Yeah, Craven had apparently, because he'd done, oh my gosh, my mind just went like. Um, Hills of Eyes, People Under the Stairs. Thank you. Last House on the Left. Many important horror yeah. films. <laughs> and he was growing weary of what he felt. There was some inherent misogyny and violence mm-hmm. in the genre. Um, so he was kind of just, yeah, getting sick of it all. And then he was asked to direct Scream, which he said yes to. He really, really, I guess, really liked the storyline. Mm-hmm. And it was a turning point in terms of casting for horror films because they'd previously just been kind of getting relatively unknown actors. And then 
Scream comes up and Drew Barrymore, who'd already yeah been quite famous at DT, mm-hmm. just volunteered to sign on and yeah, she was yeah. originally cast to play Sydney. Yeah, yeah, and then and decided to be yeah. Casey. Yeah, I love it. And uh, there's also a little behind the scenes fun fact: the house that Drew Barrymore's character lives in directly faces the house that they used in Cujo. Spooky Hollywood. Here's how we play. I ask a question. If you get it right, Steve lives. Don't do that. Come on, it'll be fun. Please. It's an easy category. Movie trivia. I'll even give you a warm-up question. Don't do this, I can't. Name the killer in Halloween. No. Come on, it's your favorite scary movie, remember? He had a white mask, he stalked the babysitters. No. Oh, come on, yes you no. do. Please. What's his name? Steve's counting on you. Michael. Michael. Yes! Very good. Now for the real question. No! Oh, you're doing so well. We can't stop now. Stop, leave us alone. Then answer the question. Same category. Oh, please stop. Name the killer in Friday the 13th. Jason! 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 I'm sorry. That's the wrong answer. No, it's not. No, it's not. It was Jason. Afraid not? No way. Listen, it was Jason. I saw that movie 20 goddamn times. Then you should know Jason's mother, Mrs. Voorhees, was the original killer. Jason didn't show up until the sequel. I'm afraid that was a wrong answer. You tricked me. Lucky for you, there's a bonus round. But poor Steve, I'm afraid he's out. <laughs> example of the final girl. The final girl is a trope in horror films, particularly slasher films. It refers to the last girl or woman alive to confront the killer, ostensibly the one left to tell the story. Clover suggests that in these films, the viewer begins by sharing this, the perspective of the killer, but experiences a shift in identification to the final girl partway through the film. So an example would be the ghost face perspective while watching and killing Casey at the beginning of the film, compared to Sydney adopting the costume and tormenting Billy and Stu. The shots of Stu and Billy's death are also from Sydney's point of view. So some examples of a final girl would be Laurie Strode from Halloween, Alice Hardy from Friday the 13th, and Ash Williams from Evil Dead. Um, according to Clover, the final girl in many movies shares common characteristics. So she's typically sexually unavailable or virginal and avoids the vices of the victims like illegal drug use. She, she sometimes has a unisex name, such as Avery, Chris, or Sydney. Occasionally, the final girl will have a shared history with the killer. The final girl is the investigating consciousness of the film, moving the narrative forward, and as such, she exhibits intelligence, curiosity, and vigilance. Another trope of slashers, uh, especially in the 80s, is the death by sex, where sex scenes are shortly followed by violence, and the, with the participants being murdered in gruesome ways. So Sydney subverts final, the final girl trope as she's very active within the narrative and chooses to have sex with her boyfriend. Um, and actually, he's the one that is attacked after after they have sex. Yeah, uh, but it's a fake attack. I know. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry. I do not like Billy. 
I he's, love him. Ugh. Anyways, Sydney manages to survive. <laughs> she has sex and still survives. She's also a constant character within the franchise while the killer behind the ghost face mask changes. So many horror movies feature the protagonist dealing with the consequences of their parents' past mistakes and trauma, such as Nightmare on Elm Street. Billy and Stu's motivation stems from Sydney's mom, Maureen, sleeping with Billy's dad, thus causing his parents' divorce. Despite Sydney's subversion of the final girl trope, the overarching motivation throughout the franchise basically blames Maureen's sexuality and past trauma for the murders, which I find pretty anti-feminist and problematic. Yes. <laughs> here, here. I found myself getting kind of angry at this consistent pattern of like sexualization equals justification for death that happens in the film. And okay, so maybe this is a pervy detail (laughs) and one that all the horror bros on their podcasts Mm -hmm. say, but maybe I'm a pervy horror bro. But okay, so there's a moment where Rose McGowan's character is in, she's normally portrayed in such a fantastic Mm -hmm. way. She's super funny, teasing Dewey, her brother. Mm -hmm. She's so, such a great friend. She's always protecting Sydney. Mm -hmm. She's really funny. Like she's great. I like her a lot. And then she's heading to the garage to get more beer for the party. And all of a sudden, all your eyes, like it's just, it's a very distinct, noticeable change that she has these very erect nipples. And, no, I agree. Nipples should not be sexualized. Mm-hmm. They are just a part of most every body. Mm-hmm. But but uh, she's killed shortly after. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, I just it's just frustrating to see this moment. She's such a brilliant funny character mm-hmm. and then it's like, "Oh, right before she dies, oh, that's kind of she's sexualized." Springing to mind yeah. is nipples. And yeah, she's sexualized before she's killed, which is like Really, yeah. Wes Craven. Well, yeah, that's another example of this film subverting, but then actually just following, just following. slasher formula. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And same with Sydney in certain times. Like, as much as she does overcome the trope, I don't know. I think she's still a problem. And in parts of it, she does apologize to Billy for her sadness and trauma a lot. Mm-hmm. And Billy, I know, is like a selfish piece of poo, but I don't know. I just, that apology for it really got under my skin mm-hmm. it's it's billy that's being the worst but yeah uh, but yeah it's also interesting to think of this all in relation to gail weathers i'm such a gail weathers fan she solves the case she finds the car the missing car she's in charge of her sexuality and her career and yeah she's like trying to make a living off of others trauma and is not very respectful to mm-hmm. these folks but she's really honest about it and she made it wears these amazing chartreuse pantsuits i love, I love gail weathers love it um, yeah, it's, I really like how female friendship is portrayed in these f- films. So we have Tatum, who I guess could be categorized as like the slutty one if you're going to follow like slasher mm-hmm. tropes or whatever. But she's very outspoken. She's very funny and very protective of Sydney. Even if there are moments where she doesn't seem to quite understand where Sydney's coming from, but it just seems like maybe she's not as emotionally mature mm-hmm. as Sydney because she hasn't experience trauma in the same way yeah. um there's also hallie from scream 2 to sydney's uh dorm mate oh, yeah. who's another very like fierce friend and very protective of her um and then even gail um their relationship is really interesting because yeah gail is trying to uh, make money off of sydney's mom's death mm-hmm. um so it is interesting to see gail evolve as a character and then their relationship as they get closer mm-hmm. throughout the series
sell this costume every five and dime in the state. There's no way to track the purchase. What about that cellular phone bill? Well, we're pulling Loomis's account. We won't know anything until the morning. Oh, come on. You think he did it? 20 years ago, I would have said not a chance. But these kids today... Damned if I know. Hey, Dewey, can we go now? Hold on a second. God damn it, Dewey. <laughs> well, what did Mom tell you? When I wear this badge, you treat me like a man of the law. I'm sorry, Deputy Dewey boy, but we're ready to go now, okay? Whoa. Uh, take him out the back way, avoid that circus. Act. <laughs> Come on. Touch me. He's my superior. Janitor is your superior. Let's get back to work. Characters aside, one thing that really draws me uh, personally into the Scream franchise <laughs> is the proximity to real life events. So the script was written by Kevin Williamson, and he was inspired by the case of the Gainesville Ripper. So the Gainesville Ripper, or Danny Harold Rowling, was an American serial killer who murdered five students in Gainesville, Florida, over four days in August of 1990. And I won't go into detail about the case. It's it's very interesting. It's really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do recommend My Favorite Murder podcast has a really um, excellent mm-hmm. episode about it. So I recommend that if that's something you're interested in. Um, but the, uh, so the, yeah, there's lots of parallels and obviously it was inspired by, by him. Um, there's also parallels to the kidnap and murder of Polly Class, which had occurred in the Santa Rosa area just three years prior to Scream's filming. Um, they, at the age of 12, Polly was kidnapped at knife point during a slumber party at her mom's house, and she was later strangled to death. Um, Scream was originally going to be shot uh, at the high school where I believe where Polly class went, or, or in Santa Rosa mm-hmm. anyway, and the community protested, saying it was still too close to the tragedy for them, and the location was changed. Uh, the film was also accused of inspiring and even in inducing some violent crimes and murders that happened following the film's release. Um, it all seems a little bit reminiscent of mm-hmm. satanic panic for me. Like, yes, young people engaging with the culture of the time, but then the culture being blamed and used mm-hmm. as a scapegoat when really that's just a distraction from real life problems such as like the rampant need for gun control and resources and supports needed for mental health. Yeah, so, similar to yeah. like Marilyn Manson and Columbine. The Columbine. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like West Memphis 3 and, yeah. and all that. Mm-hmm. These scream controversies, uh, one of them happened in January 1998. A 16-year-old and his 14-year-old cousin um, stabbed the 16-year-old's mother 45 times, killing her. Uh, The case became known as the scream murder and fell under intense media scrutiny after the boys claimed they were inspired by scream and scream 2. 
Uh, they confessed to needing money acquired from the murder to fund a killing spree, which would include purchasing two ghost face costumes as well as a voice changer used by um, Billy and Stu in the film. During their trial, the psychologist, Madeline Levine, who studied the effect of violence on children, stated that there were a whole bunch of reasons why they acted out the way they did, but did the movie provide a blueprint? Absolutely. End quote. Uh, the case was expected to highlight the effect of violent films on teenagers. However, the presiding judge ordered that evidence pertaining to Scream be barred and that the case not be referred to as the Scream murder, refusing media access to the courtroom and intending that the case was tried as a murder and nothing else. There was a second one of note on January 17th, 1999. A 13-year-old was stabbed multiple times in the head and back before being left for dead by his then friends, one of who was 14 and one was 15. He was later found and saved by an elderly man walking his dog. Uh, the pair were dubbed the Scream Attackers after it emerged that they had watched Scream shortly before the attack and drawings of the ghost face mask were found among their possessions. So their actions were additionally blamed on physical abuse, drugs, and exposure to black magic in their home life. The boy who was attacked later testified against the pair, stating that he believed uh, the film may have influenced them to attack him. Um, yeah, but as as we talked about, it is interesting how these these films and moments of pop culture, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's so often scapegoat. Yeah, situations get blamed for. Yeah. One thing that I found really interesting as I was researching uh, Scream is that Marco Beltrami, the composer, uh, approached the film as if it was a, a Western. So you can sense this in the, there's also this influence in David Lynch films, like with mm -hmm. Angelo Badalamenti, um, how each character has this theme when they enter enter the the environment. And yeah, it just lends this really, I don't know, immersive and fun. Yeah elements to the to the films that scream scream has too it's it's pretty cool yeah and the themes for each character become more and more apparent in in the, in the sequels yes okay. like dewey. dewey dewey's theme so we have a listener question from sarah she asks who would win sydney prescott or teen laurie strode from halloween i would argue because Sydney is such a active character in Scream mm -hmm. that she would win. Just because Laurie, she is a final girl, but at the end of the movie she gets saved by Dr. Loomis. But then... You're right. I haven't seen Halloween H40, and you have. It totally taints it, because I feel like I know what Laurie is capable of. Like Doomsday. Doomsday, Laurie. fierce women Trevor Laurie yeah like so strong and able mm -hmm. so my I as much as I'm trying to focus on like teen Laurie you could do both I would think that she she would win also I mean yes she was like a little flaily a little screamy mm -hmm. but she also like created this like she is the scream mm -hmm. queen it's mm -hmm. like yeah she created that role yeah. she could she could use that in some way to like as a power, you know, like, like, scream attack. I disagree. <laughs> Laurie Strode. I say Laurie. So that's our show for this week. 
Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Um, you can listen to Bikini Drive-In every Sunday at 4.30 on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg or listen online at ckw.ca. Um, and if you have any listener questions or comments or want to talk about Scream more, you can email us at bikinidrivein at gmail.com. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye.
KUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Our frequency celebrates diversity.